We're going to read together from this 12th chapter of the book of Nehemiah. Try to summarize it as we, as we read and then comment on it in the course of the service. This would be a, a, a linguistic challenge to anybody to read through uh, this passage. So I'll try to weave my way through and pick out the, the relevant points and not to be bogged down with names. So chapter 12 verse 1 sets the scene. There are these priests and Levites. They're named and their families and there's a connection. These were the priests and Levites who returned with Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel with Jeshua, Sarahiah, Jeremiah, Ezra and so on and so forth. So sets the, the theme now for this dedication service. Verse 27. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving and with the music of cymbals, harps and lairs. The singers also were brought together from the region around Jerusalem, from the village of Netophatite, from Beth Gilgal, and from the area of Geba and Asmapheth. For the singers had built villages for themselves around Jerusalem. When the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates and the wall. I had the leaders of Judah set up on top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to come together, one to proceed on the top of the wall to the right towards the dung gate. Verse 38, the other choir, the second, proceeded in the opposite direction. So picture now a choir starting in one part of the wall and the other and going to converge together in a great climactic crescendo of worship and instruments. Try to picture that uh, in your mind. It's a powerful picture of this dedication. So he goes on to say, verse 38, I followed them on the top of the wall together with half the people past the tower of the ovens, the broad wall, over the gate of Ephraim, Jeshana gate, the fish gate, the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, as far as the sheep gate, at the gate of the, guard, of the guard, they stopped. The two choirs that gave thanks then took their place in the house of God. So did I together with half the officials. And then finally, taking up the reading in verse, um, where are we? Verse 43. On that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. At that time, men were appointed to be in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes from the fields around the towns. They were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. For Judah was pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. They performed the service of their God 
and the service of purification, as did also the singers and gatekeepers, according to the command of David, King David, and his son Solomon during the dedication of the temple, which of course had been destroyed. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, and Asaph is the one who wrote many of the psalms that we sing here, there had been directors for the singers and for the songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. So, in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah, all Israel contributed the daily portions for the singers and gatekeepers. They also set aside the portion for the other Levites, and the Levites set aside portions for the descendants of Aaron. And so there was this tithing of mutual giving and accountability. If you had to come out of this church and just go up the road, you'll come to a tithed barn. And in parishes throughout England, a most remarkable, uh, if you like, social communism through the church for some 150, 200 years had prevailed in rural England. So a remarkable thing of tithing where all, no, nobody went without, even though it was a, a culture, of course, of, of aristocracy and privilege. No system is perfect, but it's an interesting one. And indeed, you'd say, this is good stuff. But when you get to chapter 13, it all goes pear-shaped. So the Bible is very realistic in terms of how we um, come together and how we live together and accept one another's differences and gifts and so forth. What we have here is the theme of joyful worship. And uh, I want us to take up this theme at the end of the service as the children will, will come in and there, is the, there will be a, a higher note of, of praise and thanksgiving. Um, this idea of sharing can be a challenge. I, I, I heard about um, a, a young couple who had belonged to a, a, a nice evangelical church and um, there was a pastor who had retired and lived on his own and uh, they invited him for dinner. Sunday dinner, like some of you are doing today. It's a good thing to do. I hope that you do it uh, um, on a fairly regular basis. And um, while the couple are preparing the meal, the husband and wife are um, just getting things ready, the minister asked the little boy what was for dinner. And he replied without hesitation, goat. Now, the minister, as most pastors are very engaging fellows, said to him, are you sure it's a goat? Yes, I am sure, said the little boy without hesitation. I heard dad say to mum today, today is just as good as any to invite that old goat for dinner. <laughs> so, keep your arm uh, around people's shoulder and sometimes your hand over your mouth, especially when children are listening. How often have you heard somebody say, you can't do that. You can't do that. Or, what you're going to do is impossible. I actually heard people say at the beginning of the Six Nations, you can't be serious that you think that Wales could win the Grand Slam. We did. Here are some examples, though, of political correctness gone too far. Uh, I picked these in the paper a week ago. The headmaster of Cummersdale Primary School in Carlisle bought six pairs of industrial goggles so that pupils were to wear them when they played conkers in the playground. 
He said, you can't play conkers without goggles. Councillors removed a swing under the oak tree in, Hampsh- in a Hampshire village of Sheet, even though generations of children had played there since 1897. Wigston Civic Society, you ramblers will love this, in Leicestershire had to fill out a two-page risk assessment before going rambling. Lionel, you watch it when you send out your emails. And this uh, listed was possible dangers, which included ploughed fields and rabbit holes. Now, you know, I'm winding you up, aren't I? People say you can't do that. There's, there's a lot here, but the last one will suffice to make the point. Mike Reed, you might have heard of him, uh, a long-distance swimming champion who crossed the channel, recorded 34 times formally, 30 times swam the channel, was banned from using his council pool in Ipswich because it wasn't supervised. Well, there are times, I know, when people say, you can't do that. And when they do, often something recoils within you and say, watch me. Now, that may not be the right thing to do either. But people said to Nehemiah, you can't do that. You can't do that. And people have said over the last two years at least, with some degree of uh, confidence, you cannot extend the church. This is a conservation area. It's a beautiful chapel. I haven't been there and I have no intention of going to any church. But this is a particular period building and you must not touch it. You can't do that. Or people have said, you can't park here. You can't stay open seven days a week. The most polite lady in Long Crendon said to me, I think the chapel should be open on Sunday morning and closed for the rest of the week. You can't do that. You can't have planning permission. And you can't have change. That's said mostly inside the church, not out, by the way. You can't pray in public in council meetings anymore. If you're going to work for British Airways, you can't wear a cross. And we can give lots of examples where people stand up and say, you can't. And something recoils within us to say, yes, we can. How do we do that? Well, here's the wall. And uh, walls are funny things. As a, a frequent visitor to Belfast, I've seen the negative impact of walls. Walls can reflect prejudice, sectarianism, fear, and division. In November, I'm sure many of us will remember it well, in 1989, what we called the East Germans, almost like a breed apart, were celebrating an unforgettable moment of remarkable thanksgiving as the power of the old guard leaders developed too many cracks and it began to crumble. And along with the ruling powers, its symbol of power, the Berlin Wall. And many of us will remember amidst the rubble, the mass hysteria, the cheering, the dancing, the singing, the celebrating, the crying, 
the longings coming into that one moment reverberated around the whole world as people looked on. What is a wall but a symbol of power and oppression? Or, conversely, a symbol of security and permanence and distinctiveness. Wars are funny things. And we're having a sermon about a wall that has been built. Nehemiah has finished the task with all the people who are drawn together. And, and again with those two choirs going round the wall. Like, like a Hebraic Mardi Gras. This isn't polite uh, English or British reserve. This is celebration heightened as people give thanks to God that now they have security and permanence. Walls are funny things and people say you can't do that. Well, according to the rest of Nehemiah 12, you will see that, uh, and particularly verse 27, for example, they began to celebrate the dedication with gladness, notice, with hymns of thanksgiving, with songs, to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lairs. It's quite a picture. It's quite a picture. Well, let's look at this now with that sort of rather prolonged introduction just to try to get us to think about what we can and can't do and what we're involved in together in terms of just looking through this book and how it applies to us today. But let me just try to give you the final completed picture here. There were several instruments. This is a quotation from one of the commentaries as they explain what's happening in this sort of Mardi Gras of praise and dedication. The symbols used were like symbols used today. We have some here. Except they were held in the hands and crushed together. The harps were perhaps more like glorified mandolins, instruments with bell-shaped ends and several strings. The lyres were easily portable instruments, perhaps not so much like the, the cello that we have here. Um, on two arms, joined on the top uh, by a cross piece, so having the strings all thoroughly of the same length. It was a, a, a coming together of orchestra and, and, and choir in this wonderful celebration. There you have it. Let's just look very quickly at a couple of points. And first of all, we, there we, we've got the picture, but what, what does it mean to us here today? First of all, it's a challenge to us to give ourselves to God. That's what you have here, pure and simple. They were giving themselves to God in a very public way. Now, there's a place for both, of course. But the real issue here is not simply the bricks and buildings. It's not just a wall. It's more than that. We've seen already how powerful, symbolic a wall can be. And the demise of the Berlin Wall was massive in its in impact upon the rest of the Soviet Union, ultimately. The issue isn't about a wall, it's about people. And the issue about any building, you see, sometimes you ask people when they move into a house, when does it become a home? It's not just the size and its value. Those things are doubtless important. But what you do in the privacy of your home, how you relate, how you love, how you grow, and that is no less true of people who live in walled cities. It's about people. People who live and worship together, who serve in this holy city, 
and there are many great uh, oratorios that take up this theme, no less so Handel. But what we have here is an echo of this call to a different city. Remember the Apostle Paul going to Rome, the gospel now making massive inroads ultimately into Europe and Britain. And in the city of Rome, just as if it was the city of Jerusalem, I appeal to you by the mercy of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your reasonable, your spiritual worship. And with all the pressures of secularism in Rome then, under Caesar, with the risk of saying, Jesus is Lord at the fear of your life. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. It's the same, whether it's Nehemiah or the Apostle Paul, whether it's, whether it's Jerusalem or Rome or, or London or anywhere. Paul echoes this call to be different. To be distinctive, not to contract out, not to hide behind walls, church walls or any other walls. To live out our lives, often in a hostile world. And what a wide variety of families are, are drawn together. If you were to take time, it's quite fascinating to see the families, how different they are, their makeup, their character, their gifts, their abilities, and yet woven together in this great celebration. So let me say this. Here's the application then. Here we are today in, in, in a culture of chronic individualism what a good thing to be part of a community of people who together have a sense of corporate collective identity and worship for all of our faults for all of the awkward people there are awkward people in Long Crendon Baptist Church you might be one of them and me but the, perhaps the great counterculture here is this, with this constant individualism where we isolate ourselves. We know the cost of everything and the value of nothing. Give yourself to God. Give yourself to God. The blessings are part of belonging to God's people, belonging and believing and relating as openly and as honestly as we can. Do not isolate yourself. Some of you have done it for a long time and it's a habit and you go into automatic pilot. Don't do it. Take a risk. Tell people where you are really. And you might be surprised they're just where you are as well. Give yourself to God. That's the first thing. Second challenge here is this. A challenge to give our worship to God. Give our worship to God. There's a period of wonderful transition. Up till now, preoccupied. And some of you have been complaining. We're talking about the building, the building. Okay, the building's ended now. Uh, here are the workers and the watchers. 
And, and you could picture them sometimes with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. It's not ideal time. There's never a good time to give money to God's cause. There's never a good time to work for him. There will always be things, always, always. Up till now, the workers, the watchers, people standing guard on the watchtowers, people working away and so forth. But there's a change. And in verse 27, the change, look, look, look at it again. You see it here. At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived. They are brought into Jerusalem to celebrate, look, joyfully the dedication with songs and thanksgiving, with, with the music of cymbals, harps, lairs, and so on and so forth. It's a lovely picture of people being drawn together now, putting their trowels down, taking up their instruments, taking up their voices. Look at verse 31. You have it again. I, I had the leaders of Judah to go up to the top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One to proceed on the top, on the right, and so on and so forth. And then in verse 43, it's a, perhaps one of the most choice verses, I think, in the book of Nehemiah. And what a wonderful um, witness this is. Verse 43. On that day... The people who had looked on and said, you can't do that, heard this. On that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing, because God had given them great joy. And this isn't just a select group of people. Notice, the women and children also rejoiced. The sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. This is not a people hiding behind walls with some sort of obscure group of people who think they're the only ones who've got the truth. People who want the message of God's covenant to bless the nations. The challenge of giving ourselves in worship. And you know, the order is no accident. You see, you, you could ask, what's, what's the point here? Well, you see, dedicating the walls, the gates, without a dedicated people, that the church is in danger of almost becoming a museum. That's why some people say, you can't do that. That they're locked into time and the way of doing things and the way of thinking. Well, they may be perfectly sincere. but wrong. But God is doing new things in every generation. And he doesn't do things in the same way. And we have to see that and capture that. What is the point of this? You could call it a charade, if you like, if you're just dedicating walls and gates without having a people to inhabit the city. And the emphasis here of joyful praise in Nehemiah, it would be interesting if you took time to read it. Singing, eight times. Thanksgiving, six times. Rejoicing, seven times. And all the people involved. All the people involved. Well, but there's another reason for this worship of giving themselves to God. What a powerful witness to people outside. What a powerful witness. A reminder that God so loved the world that he gave his son, that whoever believes shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. A powerful witness to the world. And, and, and something else, okay? A powerful witness to the world and a response to the cynics. The cynics, well, let's have a quick flick back very quickly. Look in chapter 4, just to see this. Uh, as as the, 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 the progression of this, this series, which we, is nearly coming to an end. Chapter 4. And uh, where are we? Verse 1. Sanballat, who seems to head up this campaign of cynicism, heard that they were rebuilding the wall. He became angry. He was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of the associates of the army of Samaria, he said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Now, people have been talking like that about the church for generations when they want to do something new. And we mustn't give way to that. And look at the cynicism. Will they restore the wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Would they ever become a people like they were before because the temple had been destroyed? Will they finish in a day? Get a life, they would say. Can they bring these stones back to life from this heap of rubble and burnt as they are? And Tobiah piles on the cynicism. Verse 3, the Ammonite. Yes, what they are doing, he said, that even if a fox climbed on it, it would crumble. And the answer? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. And they did. A powerful witness in worship a powerful witness in, 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 to, to the outside world and to the cynics that please God that their hearts might melt and that they would repent and turn to the Lord Jesus. The final comment, of course, is that this is God's work and not man's. If it's man's work, it'll come to nothing. And if it's God's work, it will be achieved. And it's more than bricks and mortar. It's God's work and it's God's glory. But a word of caution, a word of caution here, and it's this. Any dedication, you think of you, you parents who have brought your children here for dedication. Let me press the point almost that it is ridiculous, but I do it for a reason. Suppose you say, there you are then. We've got a new baby. We've publicly given the baby back to God. has been dedicated. And you say to your child, right, you're on your own. Well, that's absurd. That's utterly ridiculous. And it is. No less so the dedication of a building. It is but, but the beginning of hard work, sacrificial service. That's the whole point of a dedication. It marks not the end of a project, but the beginning. The beginning. A new building. Can I put it like this? Here's a company of people on a journey. We've used this term. It's a good term. We're on a journey together. And certain events become what you can call on the journey, like they used to do, a milestone. And there is recorded so far. I remember the pictures of Dick Whittington as he stopped. And you'd see so far to London and so forth. It's a milestone. But the pilgrimage... The dedication without commitment becomes a millstone around your neck, pulling you down. 
dragging you under. A burden and not a blessing. And the difference? Not simply a building, but the people who inhabit it. Our country is festooned with empty chapels and buildings. Some services less than a mile from here only meet once a month. Beautiful buildings they are. Lovely for getting married. But a community of people who covenant together, I don't know. They may be relics of former glory and nothing more apart from commitment to a living Lord. And finally, this chapter represents not only a challenge to give ourselves to God afresh, a challenge to make our worship vibrant, but a challenge to give our gifts to God. I'm not just weaving that in. The rest of the chapter, verse 44 right through, is all about giving. I hope it doesn't spoil the sermon, but it's there, and I'm not, I'm not orchestrating that. There it is. It's a challenge to give our gifts to God. And this is the covenant. If you just turn back to Nehemiah 10, just one page, and verse 35 and, and 36. There you have it. We also assume responsibility. This is the people saying, not the priests or the Levites now. This is the response. The people of God. We also assume responsibility to bring to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and every fruit tree, of every fruit tree. As it is written in the law, we will bring the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, of our herds, of our flocks to the house of our God to the priests ministering there. And of course the whole issue of the tithe system is a very powerful one. That's the covenant of the law. But there's something very lovely here and I, I hope you don't miss it. And with this we nearly finished. It's not the letter of the law. You're listening to me and I'm speaking. You're thinking, yeah, I know. We're, you're, you're asking for money. Well, yes, but more. More. This is not just the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. Come back to Nehemiah 12. You, you, you could almost miss it if, you, if we didn't read it carefully. Look at verse 44. Just see if you can pick out this. Not just the letter of the law. At that time, men were appointed in charge of the storerooms for the contributions, first fruits and tithes. From the fields around the town, they were to bring into the storerooms the portions required by the law for the priests and the Levites. If we stop there, you say, well, that's just a repetition of what you said. But wait. For Judah was pleased. Who's Judah? The people of God. The people of God were pleased with the ministering priests and Levites. And as a result of that sense of pleasure, of not being a spectator, but a participator, there was more than just the letter of the law, but the spirit of it. They are pleased to be involved. No arm twisting. And little wonder that this wonderful verse, verse 43, and that day they offered great sacrifice, rejoicing, because God had given them great joy. The women and children and were all brought into this. So let's conclude before the, the children come in very quickly with just four obvious uh, applications, I hope. The first is this. 
that an atmosphere of joy should characterize any people of God when they come together. So let me be personal. Think of yourself now for a moment, just for a moment. Come here today. Do you consciously contribute to this atmosphere of joy or do you distract from it? It's, it's right to ask that. It's no good just saying, oh, this is the type of person I am. Well, we know that. What is the sort of person we ought to be? Are you enjoyable to be around? Or do you give the signal that really you don't care much about people? Secondly, music. Music is one of the most expressive Ways to communicate joy, both secular and sacred, for sure. Think what it would be to be in a silent world. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine, as I was yesterday, a, a, a sea of Irish people. But the English singing, reverberating, swing low, sweet chariot. They have something to sing about. The Irish were subdued, but they know that their day will come. Singing is, is a way of expressing sport or, or joy or worship, and it's God's gift to us. We should use it well. Music has been given by God to enhance and enrich our joy. And in a moment we're going to express that very quickly. Thirdly, a joyful spirit will have far-reaching effects. I'm sure psychologically as well. There is something liberating and healing about a joyful spirit. And you see the point? Their joy and their music was heard afar. And it's not just the singing, it's not the well-tuned instruments, it is that. But it's more, it's this joy. And we read earlier, the joy of the Lord was their strength. And finally, joy is not dependent on our outward circumstances. I often used to get annoyed when preachers used to say that, yeah, and... I am not saying that outward circumstances don't matter. There are people today, it's his mothering Sunday, who perhaps don't have their mothers or have never had children. Does that mean that those circumstances would have you locked in time, embittered? I hope not. And that if God does give differently and die diverse to people at various times, are we simply to become... So self-preoccupied, sorry for ourselves, pitiful and pathetic. Of course our circumstances affect us, but they shouldn't dominate our lives if we truly belong to the Lord. I mean, if you doubt what I'm saying, that joy is not dependent on outward circumstances, but on the inner focus... Look at the circumstances around the Israelites in this immediate context. They're still under the yoke of the Persians. They still have the cynics all around them. They still have limited resources. They have massive problems. And if we think that we wait until the right time so that we're ready to be baptized and everything has to be in order and all our dots crossed, our T's crossed and, you know, T's and I's and so on, until everything fits into place, say, right now I've got it. I would suggest that you probably never, ever get round to it. 
So, let's finish how we began. You can't do that. You can do that. You can do it. By God's grace, you can do that. And whatever difficulties that we face, far greater than merely financial, together by God's grace, we can do it. As he's called us to be a living witness, here, today, the language of the Bible where we live and move and have our being. This is our day. We have no other. And we can do it.